G'day, this is Gary Ridge, CEO of WD40 Company, and you're listening to Robert Miller on the Follow Your Dream podcast. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast. I am Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is Chester Elton, a workplace culture and leadership expert. And we're going to find out what that means. And a New York Times number one best-selling author. He serves as a leadership consultant to companies like American Express and the World Bank, AT&T, all the small fry, and the New Jersey Devils. And you know, in each episode, I like to feature a song of mine underneath the introduction and at the end, and I always try to make the song relevant somehow to my guest or the subject matter. This week, my featured song is called The Week from East Side Sessions, the album that my band Project Grand Slam put out just before the world closed down in 2020. Why did I choose this song? Well, I figure that all the companies that Chester advises basically work during the week. So it fit. So Chester Elton, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hey, delighted to be here. I've been listening to a couple of your podcasts. You have so much fun. I mean, you're a rock star. Who doesn't (laughs) want to talk to a rock star? You know, if you can't have fun doing this stuff, why do it? That's the way I figure. Yeah. All right. So tell us what exactly does a workplace culture and leadership expert mean and do? Yeah, not a title that I would have picked out for myself in high school. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what do you um, want to be in high school? Tell me about that first. You know, in high school, I was like everybody else. I played a lot of sports. You know, I played rugby. I played basketball. I played volleyball. And I played a lot of tennis. And if you'd asked me what I wanted to be, it would either be a pro tennis player or, or a, a pro basketball player. Now, given my height and ability, basketball was definitely out of the question. Tennis, though, I thought, hey, maybe I had a shot. Yeah, you had a shot. No question about it. Okay, let's talk tennis for a minute. Who are your favorites? Tell me. Well, you know, Roger Federer to me is just one of the, you know, a, a pro's pro. I just love the way he just was so elegant on the court. As a kid growing up, Rod Laver was my favorite tennis player. Did you play with wooden rackets when you were growing up? I did. I did. Broke a lot of them. Uh, actually, uh, not in the McEnroe fashion, just literally <laughs> just playing, just broke them. But um, I, I love the Aussies. You know, I grew up in, in Vancouver, Canada, born in Edmonton, really grew up in Vancouver, lots of tennis courts in Vancouver. And I love the Aussies because they uh, the respect they had for the game. Yep. You know, they never made excuses. They just, they loved to play and it was the game. They had such respect for the game. And I, I love that about it. They love two things. They love the game of tennis and they love beer. There's no question about that. <laughs> you got that right. You know, look, I'm a big tennis fan myself. And I remember that whole era that you're talking about. I mean, for people that are playing now, you know, with all the technology behind the rackets, you can't even begin to imagine what it was like to hit with a wooden racket. First of all, they were they weighed a ton. Yep. Secondly, they were all warped like crazy because the wood warped on the rackets. You used, to, you used to have to put these binders on them and screw it in to try and keep them straight, but it never worked. 
And then the sweet spot on the racket was about an inch and a half. I mean, yeah. which makes it all the more remarkable that the guys back then and the and the women could play as well as they did. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll tell you an interesting story because, you know, I, I grew up in a, my dad ran radio stations. And uh, so we were always into marketing and promotion and so on. And my dad loved tennis. And when Arthur Ashe came out with the head composite tennis racket, right? right? It, it was now no, no longer, you know, I mean, they had um, Jimmy Connors played with that single extrusion racket, which by the way, was impossible to play. The only guy that could play <laughs> with that racket was, was, uh, it was Connors. He came out with that racket. Now, here's what's really interesting, because I worked in sporting goods shops as a kid. That racket came out and they sold it for about $30, because that's about what a Dunlop Max Ply went for. That was what Slazenger sold their rackets for. And nobody bought them. And they pulled them off and they brought them back at $100 a racket. Anyway, that you've got to be kidding me. Well, because all of a sudden it was 100 bucks. People thought, this must be the greatest racket ever. And Arthur Ashe played with it. He was cool, you know. And they couldn't keep them in stock. Isn't that a, a fascination about, you know, that is interesting. at 30 bucks, it was stupid. At 100 bucks, you had to have it. And you're right. When when Connor started, he was the first one out there consistently with a metal racket. And the racket, again, it was about four inches wide. I mean, if you ever take a look at that racket compared to the rackets of today, you wouldn't believe that they could actually hit with these things. Oh, but, yeah. You know, he did. No question about it. Great memories. Thanks, Robert. Yeah, well, you know, I, I like to go into these little side paths every once in a while, and that's nice. I haven't had anybody to talk to about tennis, so you're the first one. That's I had to do it, okay? You're welcome. <laughs> All right, so you didn't become a pro tennis player. So what would you do after that? So, you know, my dad always taught us, he goes, look, nothing happens in the world until somebody sells somebody something. You know, that's what just makes the economy run. So even though he was on the talent side, you know, he was a radio announcer and then he went into management and so on. He said, the sales guys control the world, learn how to sell. So I'm the youngest of, of, uh, of five boys, right? Four older brothers. And we all got into sales at, at some point. And, and I just loved it. I loved the idea of solving somebody's problem. You know, like in the sporting goods places, you know, we'd, we'd sell them the right strings, we'd get them the right racket, we'd get them the right stuff, you know, we'd get them the right shoes. And uh, it's so funny because I remember working in those stores and I, I rarely took home a paycheck because, you know, you could take stuff instead of cash. <laughs> <laughs> and I had like the, I always had the latest, you know, I played a lot of basketball, I had the latest Converse, I had the latest Adidas and stuff. And of course, tennis, one of the things they let us do is we got the nylon strings for free. So I was constantly like ripping out strings and putting in new ones and trying different. You were taking freebies. That's what you're telling me, huh? If it's free, it's me, baby. So, um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I always had great equipment and stuff and I, I loved solving people's problems. So when I got into university and whatnot, I, you know, I took the arts classes. I, I had this idea that I might want to be a, a lawyer at, at one point. My oldest brother's a lawyer and I had friends, you know, my parents' friends were lawyers and I'd kind of talk to them and, it sounded really interesting. Again, problem solving, be of service and so on. It was just too much school. It was just way too much school. And I enjoyed school. I wasn't particularly good at it. You know, I was a C plus B student, right? So I got into sales and just loved it. I always had lots of jobs growing up and I went into media sales because that's what I knew. We knew media. My brothers had sold media time and got into that. Well, my mom called me one time. I was working in New York. I'd worked in Detroit and, and New York. I'd newly married. We started in our family and everything. And my mom calls me out of the blue. And she says, uh, 
chess. Like, the, the conversation I can remember it like it was yesterday. I said, uh, hello, Chess Relton Blair Television. She goes, Chess's mom. Hey, listen, I just talked to your uncle over it. He runs this great little company out of Utah. I- I've always wanted my boys to work for Uncle Over. Now, listen, he's going to have to be calling you, and you're going to want to look at this shop. Now, I'm not exactly sure what it is they do, but they sell like jewelry and stuff. When you gets a call, you take that call, and you get that job. And I remember this went on for like, you know, three minutes, which seemed like a half an hour. And when she finally took her breath, I said, I'm doing great, mom. How are you doing? <laughs> Thanks for calling. <laughs> and she said, and it's so funny. My mom, so did she goes, don't you get smart with me? Remember, it's Uncle Aubrey. He's calling you. Get the job. Click. I was like, okay. All right. So did he call you? He did. Well, actually, you know, he owned the company. And so it was his, you know, sales guys that called me and we started interviewing. And it was a recognition company out of um, Salt Lake City, Utah called OC Tanner. A recognition company. What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. That's what I said. So what do you guys do? You know? So uh, he said, well, what do you know about us? I said, well, you know, I know my mom's uncle over, by the way, he was like a great uncle twice removed, you know, it was, although they were very close, very close family. I see. Yeah. I said, look, I know he's got jewelry stores and I know you guys like sell jewelry. So I don't know your jewelry reps he goes, nah, nah, that's not it. I said, well, you know, and it's so funny because I've been working in New York for just long enough that this, you know, quizzing didn't go over well with me. You know, and so I remember saying, I said, well, I'll tell you what, if that's not what it is, why don't you just tell me what you do then? How about, how about we do that? You know, and this guy's like, oh, kid's got an attitude. I go, hey, buddy, <laughs> you called me, <laughs> you know, I, I love New York. It was just get, get, you get know, to the heart of it. All right. Yeah. Don't what waste do you my want? Time. How much does it cost? Can I have it? You know? So um, anyway, so they, like I said, it's a recognition company. We, we go into organizations and they celebrate like five years, 10 years, 15 years sales awards and stuff like that. And I go, oh, that's kind of cool. So, you know, I, I give the watch some, after 25 years of service. Is that the place? That was, that was, that was, we did stuff like that. All yeah. Right. So I, I like that because it was, you know, athletics, you know, achievement, you get the award, you get the trophy. I, I kind of like that. I did some research, you know, I'd lived in New York long enough to know that uh, you always know a guy who knows a guy. Right. You know, so I called around, I go, Hey, you know, this, I went to BYU for school, you know, we're, we're devout Mormons. If you're Catholic, you go to Notre Dame. If you're Mormon, you go to BYU. And and I called around. They go, yeah, I know a guy who works there. And I know another guy who works there. And I was calling him up. And, and it, it was a good job. And the territory would be in New Jersey. So it was really interesting because when you live in New York, you make New Jersey jokes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you ever notice that when you're in New Jersey, you got to pay to get into New York. But New York to New Jersey, that's free. You know, so anyway, we looked it up and and I thought, you know, while I loved selling media time, I just didn't think that I was making the world a better place. You know, if I got a premium for, a, I don't know, a spot in the Super Bowl and we sold national spot time like in Columbus, Ohio, it takes you a long time to connect the dots between selling that spot and commerce. And anyway, so I like this idea of the human touch. So I started to work all these recognition programs, really liked it. And I had this idea. I'd work this deal. Now, if you've ever lived in Jersey, you know that we've got pharmaceutical companies everywhere. You know, if you, you want to get into pharma, you go to Basel, Switzerland, or you go to New Jersey. Those are the two pharma epicenters on the planet, right? You also got a lot of gasoline tanks in New Jersey and oh, a lot baby, of traffic, too. Yeah. Most densely populated, you know, uh, state in the union. There you go. More, more Italians per capita in Italy, you know, in New Jersey. Lots of fun stuff. Anyway. So we did this project and it was a consulting company that said, hey, we're going to help you change your culture. And part of that is, are you rewarding and recognizing your people, right? And so 
we bid on that and we won. And I made friends with the guy and I said, Hey, this is a cool way to sell, you know, recognition programs along this, the employee engagement kind of thing. How do I find out about your company? And this was, you know, pre-internet, right? Uh, the internet was, you had a, um, a slide with a phone number. <laughs> that was the internet. <laughs> right? And, uh, and so he said, well, let me send you a book. And uh, our senior VP of international wrote a book about him, the employee solution, the employee equation, I think is what the book's. Anyway, I, he overnighted it to me. He said, this is brilliant. You know, be the thought leader. So I called our CEO. We had a good relationship with him. And I, his name is Kent Murdoch. I said, hey, Kent, uh, we should do this. We should write a book on, on you know, nobody's written a definitive book on, on employee recognition. We got all this data. We get all these clients. We should write the book. And then if we're the thought leaders, then people call us. We don't have to call them. I'm just thinking, what's it make sales easier for me, right? I want advantage back to tennis. I want advantage Elton. You know? <laughs> so um, so he said, Ooh, I like that idea. Well, go ahead, write the book. And I went, I I don't think you heard me. It was like we, as in you, <laughs> the, you write the book. I benefit from said book. And then this was the moment that was really interesting. You talk about you know, opportunity meets, you know, talent, I guess, is he said, you're a smart guy, Chester, figure it out. And that, ooh. Now, if you had gone to high school with me at Hillside High in West Vancouver, British Columbia, and you'd said, yeah, Chester Elton, five times New York Times bestselling author, seven, you know, Wall Street Journal bestsellers, over 1.5 million, all these accolades and stuff. Yeah, no, not him. I said, no, 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 it must be the other Chester Elton. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be two. <laughs> and um, he said, you're a smart guy, figure it out. So I started playing with like titles and ideas and all kinds of stuff. Well, almost a year later, he calls me back and he says, hey, I've been thinking about that book idea. I just hired a guy. He's a writer. His name's Adrian Gostick. Introduce yourself to him and write the book. Well, as fate would have it, Adrian was born in London, but grew up in Canada. We both love hockey. We're at the national sales thing. I said, hey, here's the idea. He goes, okay, well, let's figure it out. So a year later, it was, it, it was uh, 2000. We uh, drop a manuscript, a contract with a little uh, you know, publishing house out of Layton, Utah. We were the first business book they'd ever published. And we said, Kent, here's the book. It's called Managing with Carrots. And Kent was so great. He goes, I love this. I love being the CEO. You say stuff and then it happens. <laughs> <laughs> Just took a year to get there. That's the only problem. Yeah. And, and he says, what do I got to do? I said, you got to buy 5,000 copies. He goes, okay, I'm in. And so we had our, our first book and, 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 and then, you know, as, as we say in Canada, you know, this led to that and Bob's your uncle. We, uh, <laughs> we, 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 we didn't know what we didn't know, you know, like, like, you know, when you started recording, you think, oh, if I don't, if I don't have a, a gold or a platinum album, I'm nobody. Well, what you realize is most songs don't ever make platinum, you know, and and we thought with business books, if you didn't sell a million copies, you know, like we have seven habits, 10 million, 50 million, whatever it is. And we sold like 30,000 copies. Well, little did we know that most Harvard Business School books sell, sell like six, seven thousand. Like that's it. If you're like you see them all in the airport, those, yep. those guys, if those guys had sold 30,000 copies, you're kidding. They'd be doing backflips down the concourse at airports. So your first book is out there selling 30,000 copies. That's what you're saying, huh? Yeah. And then people said, Hey, liked your book. Of course you speak on your book. Right. And we went, yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, you know, we grew up speaking in church and stuff and, uh, 
we went to some conferences and said, Hey, who do we like? Like, what do they do that makes it fun? To your point, if it's not fun, why do it? And we started stealing, you know, a, a friend of mine said, you steal one idea, that's plagiarism. But if you steal a whole bunch of good ideas. That's called success. <laughs> that's called good, solid research. Yeah. So, you know, we, we saw the fish guys were throwing out fish. So we were throwing out like stuffed carrots. And we said, guys, we're using video. We used a bunch of video. All right. So what you're telling me is you backed into everything here. Okay. If, you, if, it, if it wasn't for your mother, you wouldn't have gotten a job to begin with. All right. Exactly. And then if it wasn't for the, the CEO telling you to write a book, you wouldn't have written a book. Then you met the guy from England and he writes the book with you. And then you start to get into speaking because, you know, you get into speaking. That's amazing. That's great. Well, you know what it is? And, and, and I know that sounds like, oh, my gosh, you know, just in the right place at the right time every time. Over and above all of that, I, I will tell you, Adrian and I work very hard at our craft. We really do. Oh, I'm sure you did. But, you know, they say in life, it's better to be lucky than smart. And it's true. Okay. You always want to have that little break that, or something that happened that pushed you in a certain direction. You didn't know you were going there. And guess what? It all worked out. It's a whole lot better than the alternative. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And and, and I really do believe that. And while people say, hey, you create your own luck, I, I, I kind of agree with that. I think sometimes you just are lucky. You know, you're just in the right place at the right time. I will tell you this, though. And, and my father would always tell me this. He'd say, you know what, Chess, there's no substitute for enthusiasm. Like, if you love what you're doing, you will attract people that love what they're doing. And, and, and you know, we wrote a book right pre-pandemic called Leading with Gratitude. It was our 13th book. We should have known it would have brought on a pandemic. Is right? this the same combo that wrote the first book? You and Absolutely. The other guy? We've been writing for 20 years now. We, we've written 14 books together. I see. And, and this book on Leading with Gratitude, one of the messages is, is that gratitude attracts gratitude. And I know you know that's true. Like good people attract good people. Yep. And we worked really hard. We were really service oriented. We really wanted to be the tide that raised all ships, not just our ship. And so I honestly believe because we had that abundance mentality that good things happen to us and continue to happen to us. Hey, everybody. My Follow Your Dream handbook is an Amazon number one bestseller. It's a combination memoir of my unique musical journey and a step-by-step -step how to for you to follow and succeed at your dream it's available at amazon and wherever books are sold check it out today all right i want to get to the first question i asked what the heck does a leadership expert mean and what do you do okay <laughs> i got all the other stuff i got tennis i got the book i got the mom's phone call Let's get into what exactly does a leadership expert do. What are you doing for AT&T? What are you doing for the New Jersey Devils? Yeah. Hey, listen, my, my hometown, the hockey team. Yeah. Well, I just start to write and you do more and more on this and you become a best-selling author and you start to speak. You start making lists like Adrian and I are in these global guru lists. We're in the top 30 leadership gurus in the world. We're top 50 of thinkers, 50 for, you know, mentors and, and coaches and so on. So you get on these lists and then people start asking you for advice. And so you start to give the advice. So we went from writing to speaking to then coaching and training. And again, it's all this research. What are the best practices? Okay. What is your problem? What do you need to solve? Is it employee engagement? Is I, I need, you know, my up and coming, my, my high potential leaders need more guidance. I, I need to, uh, to develop a culture of innovation. I need a culture of trust. Well, we've done all this research in all these books we'd written. So we could bring it all together and galvanize it all into strategies and, and, and roadmaps. 
And once you start doing that and you start having some success, then people say, hey, I think you're one of the best in the world. And I said, hey, I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So tell us, a couple. I want to hear a couple of war stories about specifics that you did for one company or another. So people can get the real good idea as to what this all means. You know, it's really interesting, Robert. Like um, everybody says, you know, culture eats the strategy for breakfast, that famous Peter Drucker uh, expression. And it really is true. And so people would come up to us at conferences and they would say, you've got to talk to my CEO. Our, our culture stinks. It's toxic. And I'd say, you know what? Your CEO is never going to talk to me because he doesn't care. She doesn't care. The companies that we work with were always companies that had good cultures, wanted to protect it and make them better. I'll give you an example. American Express, phenomenal culture. The time we were working with them, Ken Chenault was their CEO, retired just a couple of years ago. And an incredible, transparent, trustworthy. In fact, my son works for American Express. You know, he's been there for, for six, seven years now, loves it. Yeah, they pay him well, as, as, as companies should. What he loves most about it is he loves the people and the culture. So we would then come in and take a deep dive and say, your blue box values. What is it of, of that that really is uncompromisable, you know, and it's trust, right? They're in the financial industry. You know, something goes wrong with my card. I got to call somebody. I got to trust them. They'll take care of it. And they do. So what we would do is come in and say, don't take your culture for granted. Here's what makes it great. And then got to work with some of their high potential leaders because they'd say, look, the future is always on the bench, right? It's always the next generation. And so we would start to work with them. And I, I remember we had six that we were coaching at, at one time. And one guy ended up leaving for, um, I think he left for Facebook or something in, in, uh, in Singapore. All the rest of them got promoted. They're all VPs now. And that's, that's, that's incredible. That, that's so gratifying that you can say, hey. And, and it was so funny because they were very talented, right? They, they probably would have got there with or without me. Regardless, I'd call them up and say, hey, congratulations on your success. I'm going to take full credit for that. <laughs> and they'd say, and I'll give it to you, you know? So, and here's what I love about what we do, Robert. And, and, you know, long answer to the short question of what is a leadership, you know, guru, expert, whatever. Our work is so interesting to me because we talk about great cultures and great leaders and what makes a great culture, what makes a great leader. All those skills are absolutely transferable hundred percent to your personal life. So we always say, look, don't leave your best self at work. Because we often do that. We give so much to our jobs, we come home, we're exhausted. Don't do that. Our job isn't to just create better cultures and better leaders. Our work really is just to help people be better people. So that when they come home, they're better partners, they're better spouses, they're better moms and dads and parents. And that's what's really satisfying about our work. And that's why we love it so much. So is it the two of you guys at doing this? Or do you have a big staff that does it with you? Describe what's behind the scenes. Yeah, you know, it's me and Adrian. We're a very lean machine. You know, we've got 1099s. There's guys. two guys in a car driving around, <laughs> making these companies better, getting people to function at the highest level. Is that what you're saying? Knocking on doors. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, we, we, we have a staff. We, we, we've got some support people. We're not very big, though. We're like five people right? Because that's all you really need. And then as we get into bigger projects, you know, we bring in our web designers, we bring in our artists, we bring in our designers. We bring but in you our go into a place like American Express that must have 14 million people in the company, all right? Yeah. And do they hire you in a specific area or do you just kind of sit back and take a, a look at the entire company and decide where you think the, your, your talents are needed 
How does that work? Yeah, it almost always starts with a speaking engagement. They'll say, hey, we got a conference. We got a leadership conference. We want somebody to talk about culture. And we we looked you up and you guys are like at the top of the charts. We need somebody before everybody gets to bagels. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> and we and you know it's you know what they always say? And we want it to be fun. Why not? You know, and we that's what keeps your, people's attention, right? Exactly. And you know, we've watched your videos, we've seen you in different places, and you guys have great content and you make it fun. So Sign me up. So then we go and speak and we have fun. We bring, we use a lot of music. We use a lot of rock and roll. We really do. And in fact, you know, our, my walk-up song is Happy by Pharrell. I mean, <laughs> you know, if that doesn't cheer you up, then I'm praying for you. You know Good what I mean? You. And and we play like Name That Tune at the end. And we we do this thing. We, it was so fun. Uh, we were working all over the world. We get to go all over the world. In fact, I'm, I'm going to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia here in about a week uh, to talk to their training group and their they're a minister of the, uh, what do they call it? Their leadership academy. It's going to be really fun. We, we go in and, and we get these different nicknames. Like in Bonn, Germany, we work with DHL. They called us the uh, deacons of Dankeschön, right? <laughs> the, the ministers of motivation, the high priests of praise, the Dalai Lamas of workplace traumas. Do you hilarious. come up with these names? Because I like this, no, okay? No, oh, they it's do. Better when, yeah, it's better when people give them to you. Well, the Toronto Globe and Mail reviewed our book, The Carrot Principle. And called us the apostles of appreciation. <laughs> it's like it was like the best. So we will often, not in China so much, but we will often start, you know, we said that, hey, you know, we've got these nicknames. So as the apostle of appreciation, then we crank up, you know, the gospel music. And we say, I'm not here just to give you the case numbers and the studies. Oh no, I'm here to preach and to teach <laughs> the power of culture. Can I get an amen? And they all, and they always do it. Always Put your hands in the air. Give me a hallelujah. And, and they, and then at the end we go, are you going to do it? Can I get an amen? And you're thinking it's to yourself, so they're paying me for this. <laughs> I know. I know. And now we're doing it virtual too. I mean, it's, we can't quite do it virtually. Like you do, like, you, you know what I mean? When, when you're in the studio and you're streaming it, it's great. But when you're on the stage live, there's nothing better. There's nothing better. All right. I think I want to be you when I grow up. Okay. This sounds like <laughs> a lot of fun. You get all these nicknames, you get all these people up on the stage, you get to go to foreign countries, you're working with these big companies, and they must get, be giving you all the freebies that you might want. That's pretty cool. It, it, it is fun. And you know, one of the things that my wife and I decided before we got married is that we wanted to travel. Well, you know, I think between me and Adrian, I think we've presented in almost 60 different countries around the world. And, and there's still some we haven't, like we haven't been to Australia. Well, Adrian's been to Australia. I haven't. Australia, New Zealand. There's still some, you know, that we want to go to. But the different cultures and the different people and the languages and, and the food. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's just amazing. And you know what you find out? People are people. Yeah, their traditions are a little different. They may dress different. Their their taste in food is a little different. At the end of the day, everybody wants to feel valued. Everybody wants the, somebody to say thank you. You know, it's true. I've been around the world myself, not as much as you, it sounds. But when you get past the politics, which you always yeah. have to throw away because the politics screws everything up, when it just comes down to people, people are pretty much the same all around the world. Everybody wants the same things out of life. They want happiness. They want some measure of you know freedom and success and all of that. And you can speak to them on so many different levels. Yeah. 
You know, um, in our book, Leading with Gratitude, um, uh, Gary Ridge, I know you've done a podcast with Gary, who I adore. Talk about a great culture, WD-40. We we had so much fun with WD-40. You know, I gave him a little infomercial before I even met him because I had uh, one of his former advertising people on the show, Sarah Kotlova. And she and I, well, I I just asked her, what was your favorite company when you were in advertising? She said, oh, by far, it was WD-40. And we riffed on WD-40 because that's one of the greatest products that's ever been made. And then, of course, I had to have Gary on because then we we went through the top 10 list of all. And my favorite, this is going to be on the next episode, but I'm going to give you a little preview. But my number 10 most favorite use for WD-40 was you can use it if you have a stuck prosthesis. Okay. <laughs> the WD-40 will unstick your prosthesis. <laughs> Unbelievable. You, you know what I, I've used it for? Because I was, I was on a trip and, you know, with COVID and everything, you're not getting out. I thought, man, my shoes are really in rough shape. You can shine your shoes with WD-40. You, you can do everything in the world with that. It works okay? You know, they have a saying, and, and Gary confirmed this, you only need two things in life, WD-40 and duct tape, and you've got everything you need in life. That's right. You know, it, it, it is true. Well, you know, back to our, our book, Leading with Gratitude, is we, you know, we had it written by, um, uh, the foreword was written by Marshall Goldsmith. Uh, he's a dear friend of both me and Gary. In fact, we met uh, each other because of Marshall, but Marshall said exactly what you said. He said, you know, I've traveled the world. I've talked to leaders of countries and rock and roll stars and, and, and you know, grocery store attendants. And the one thing we all have in common is we just want to be happy. We just want to find a little happiness. And I'll tell you, you know, gratitude and kindness, there are very few problems in the world that can't be solved with a little gratitude. And, you know, our our latest book is all about anxiety. You know, people are just suffering from tremendous anxiety at work and in their personal lives. And we have eight strategies to deal with that. Well, guess what number eight is? Gratitude. You can't be in a state of anxiety and a state of gratitude at the same time. As bad as it seems in a lot of places, you know what? There's always something to be grateful for. And if you focus on that, what you can control, be grateful for where you are, not for what you have, and don't worry about what you don't have. Life gets 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 really good really fast, and we've learned some great lessons uh, along the way, and, and we've had hard times. You've had hard times. Everybody's had hard times. My dad says, look, nobody comes through this life unscathed. Nobody. You know? That's true. It's how you respond. It's how you respond to it. Are you going to be gracious? Are you going to be kind? You're going to be angry. You're going to be mean. I think that that's a great way to leave this. Uh, we have been talking with Chester Elton, who owes everything to his mother because she made this <laughs> one phone call and he took the phone call and he's been on a on a roll ever since. Chester, it's been absolutely a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. And uh, we're now going to listen again to the song that started off the podcast. It's my song called The Week. And uh, thank you very much for listening. And we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com.